0: Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 26 this morning, page 20 in your Bibles, as we continue in our study of Genesis. Last week, Isaac was briefly talked about before the focus quickly turned to his sons Esau and Jacob. Well, in chapter 26, the author looks back or he turns back to Isaac to show that God's Promise to Abraham will be kept through Isaac. Will be kept as he is faithful. As we're going to see this morning, God is faithful in adversity. He's faithful to bring us through uh, many hardships and difficulties. Isaac needed to hear that because he faced many difficulties, similar to his father, as we're going to see uh, this morning. I'm going to read. The first 33 verses, nearly the entire chapter of Genesis 26. Listen now to the reading of God's own holy word. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you, for to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws." So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, "'She is my sister,' for he feared to say, "'My wife,' thinking, "'Lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance.'" When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, "'Behold, she is your wife.'" How then could you say, she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us for you are much mightier than we so Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the, land, or in the days of Abraham's father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, "'The water is ours.'" He called the name of the well Essek, meaning contention, because they contended with him. And they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna, which means enmity. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuzath his advisor and Phicol the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug, and said to him, we have found water. He called it Sheba, sounding like oath in the Hebrew. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. This is the word of God. Dear people of God, I was listening to something uh, randomly this week. It was an entertainer. He was talking about why he gives concerts. And he said, I give concerts because I, people, and, and I want to do the best of my concerts because people pay, play, pay big money to come and forget their problems and to just uh, be able to, to, to check out of the world for a time. And I thought, what a contrast to the way worship is meant to be. If I asked you, what is co- corporate worship? What would you, well, how would you describe it? Is it some some way for us to come and 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 just be entertained to forget what's going on outside of us? I hope not. Hope you'd recognize that Scripture talks about uh, worship as a covenant renewal ceremony, where God reminds us of our plight, where He reminds us of our need, and He also reminds us that He has provided for that need, and He reminds us that He is faithful to bring us through. All of the adversity that we face in life. He doesn't say live in denial. He says, recognize your need and my power to deliver. It has been said that the Word of God does the work of God by the Spirit of God in the people of God. That's where we look when we come together in worship. We look to God's Word to speak to us. And I mention all of this because we can come here and think, I just want to forget about all of that. Tell me something that will get me to forget about where I'm at and what I'm facing. God, in fact, says, I know where you are. I know what you face. And I am speaking into these situations that you might have confidence and be comforted that I can deliver. God says throughout Scripture is, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he says that so often in the context of difficulty. If you look up those passages in Jeremiah, you look up those passages uh, in Exodus and elsewhere, God is speaking to his people as they are being dominated by surrounding nations, as they're facing adversity. Well, we have adversity facing us here today in this text. Isaac is in the land of promise, but there's a famine there, and he has to decide what he's going to do. How is he going to respond? This is, this is hardship for him, for his flocks and his herds, for all that the Lord has given to him. The Lord comes to him and appears to him and says, Do not go down to Egypt, but dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn there, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. God is faithful; He made covenant. Children, remember how Abraham made, or God made covenant with Abraham. He had that that dream, and it, as he fell asleep, he, there was a an animal, a, a, an oxen, cut in half, and a, a image of a smoking firepot and a flaming torch going in between. And what God says there in Genesis fifteen is that that. I am going to keep my covenant. If I do not, I will be cut off. So shall it be. I will keep my promise. Cross my heart. If I lie, then I die. An oath under penalty of death. I will keep covenant. Even though you may face those things which seem to be militating against that, pressing against that, hardships and challenges, We need to hear of God's faithfulness. So we come again to God's word and he reminds us, I know where you are. I know what you are dealing with. I know what you are facing, but you must remember, I will keep my promise. And you will find blessing as you obey. We go through trials which shake us and trouble us, but God does not change. We saw that last Sunday night when we looked at God's unchanging nature. Well, think first of the trials that cause us to wonder how things are going to work out. What are some of the threats, first off, that to, to our, our sense that God will keep his promise? Perhaps, children, you haven't experienced that yet in li- your life. You think, trials, I don't. My hardest thing is a spelling test or maybe a math test, and I usually get through that okay. But we recognize that we will have trouble. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world, I've overcome all of those challenges. We need to remember that. Trials can lead us to think that maybe God isn't in control. And far too often we start talking to ourselves and we're not, we're not rehearsing Scripture in our minds. We're talking about, well, what's going on here? Why am I, I, I should probably do this. I better do this. I better make provision. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I got to do this because this is the situation. And we start murmuring to ourselves and making decisions that are not putting god first is how we might want to say it sometimes we doubt his wisdom tonight we're going to be looking at the wisdom of god sometimes we doubt his faithfulness and you and i need god to speak to us week by week day by day here isaac is in the land in the land where there is famine and it's a different one from the one in his father's day. It's interesting how the writer puts it here. He says, "This there was a famine in the land besides the former famine like the one in Abraham's day. He's saying, I want you to think back to Abraham. I want you to think back to how Abraham dealt with this as well and how he went through, this, through similar trials and tribulations. He's, he's giving us a, a note here to think back. He had also faced a famine. Chapter 12, verse 10. He had to face a famine, and what does he do? He decides to go down to Egypt and to sojourn there. He is tested in his faith, and he leaves the land of promise. Now, God doesn't give evaluation of of Abraham's decision there. He doesn't say how he views it, but it threatened the promise of offspring. Why do I say it that way? Because you know what happened when he went down to Egypt. They saw that Sarah was beautiful, and they took Sarah and put her in Pharaoh's house. There's a threat that, that the promise that God had made would not be fulfilled because there they were in the land of Egypt. Why did this happen this way? Because Abraham lied and said, she's my sister. Sound vaguely familiar? Isaac doing the same thing, but we ask ourselves, can God overcome the threats in our lives. I put that word threats in quotation marks in the, in the sermon outline simply because they are threatening to God's promise from our human perspective, but God is greater. God can bring us through. So I didn't have any other thought on how I would put that, and that's, but that's what I mean by it. These are threats. These are real threats, but they are not going to keep God from accomplishing his promise because he is powerful. He delivers again and again. He does also say, don't put me to the test by turning from the path that I've set before you. Don't test me and say, well, you know, I'll just do this. I know it's not right, but God will take care of it. He'll fix it. He says, don't put me to the test. Stay on the path that I have set you upon. Well, in the case of Abraham, we're doing a little bit of study on Abraham before we get to Isaac, the case of Abraham, this event prefigures the events of Abraham's descendants. You remember that a famine led them down to Egypt. Jacob and his sons had famine in the land and they were were brought down to Egypt when Joseph was second in command there and, and they're brought there and... As time passes, a Pharaoh rises that doesn't remember Joseph and they are enslaved there, and it appears that God's bride Israel is lost. There will be no fulfillment of the promise. Yet God delivers them. We read in Exodus 12:17 and he reminds us again that he is able to deliver, that he will keep his promise. And God delivered again when Abraham and Sarah sojourned in the land of the Philistines. They were in Egypt for a time, then they were in the land of the Philistines. Once again, chapter 20, the promised line was threatened when Abimelech took Sarah, mother of the line of the promise, and took Sarah from Abraham. Only after Abimelech learned that Sarah was Abraham's wife did he Give her back to him. Again and again, these events appear to threaten God's plan to have a people for himself, to, to have a line. Well, then we come to that famine in Isaac's day, chapter 26. He's on his way down to Egypt and the Lord appears to him and says, don't go down there. Why did Isaac make the decision to go to Egypt? Well, we don't, it doesn't tell us, but it doesn't take too much thought because we're much were wired much like he is, he probably saw opportunity there, probably saw a blessing there, probably saw a place of safety there. But what also is represented by Egypt is idols, temptation, that which would lead astray. Egypt represented the place of idol gods, where safety was promised on one condition. You uphold the pantheon. You uphold the gods. You don't stand against them. You don't speak against them. You have complete allegiance to propping them up. And you reject the one true God. Egypt's a picture of all that stands opposed to God The kingdom at odds with God. It promises safety and life if it receives total submission from us. That sound familiar? The call of today will give you safety. We'll promise to protect you. We'll give you whatever future you want for yourself. But you must submit totally and completely. Don't you dare speak against our plans, and our project, and our kingdom. We can't do that. We can't do that. We can't stand with them. We must stand in the truth. Why might we do it? Well, there's where we got to do a little evaluation, listen to ourselves and remind ourselves what God's word says. We might do it because we love the things of the world more than we love allegiance to God. John warns us, 1 John chapter 2, that if we love the things of the world more than God, the love of the Father is not in us. If we prize those things more than we prize nearness to God, then there's a problem. James says friendship with the world, that is rejection of God, in order to find life and safety, as they put it, from the world is hatred towards God. Well, here adversity leads Isaac to decide to relocate. Hardship certainly does test our faith. We've already seen that. It can lead us to doubt God's faithfulness. But hardship doesn't threaten God's plan. He promises to give sufficient grace to us for whatever we face, whatever it is. If we trust Him, if we walk in His ways, if we humble ourselves before Him, saying, Lord, I know this is, this is, uh, this is difficult and I, I want to escape this and, 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 and I, I want You to deliver me from it. But in the meantime, I want You to, I'm praying for grace sufficient to stand up in such a way that You might be glorified in my life, in the way that I handle it, the way I respond to it. He grows us through adversity. This is where God wants Isaac. He says that to him. Don't go down to Egypt. There's temptation. There's testing there. Stay here where I have the promise. So Isaac settles in Gerar, verse 6 tells us. And he's there for a long time. Verse 8 tells us he's there a long time. But there's another threat to God's promise his promises, and that is personal sin. It's not just adversity and what it might, might uh, uh, lead us to think, but it's personal sin. We see that in, in Isaac. He repeats the sins of his father. He lies about his wife and the result is predictable. His marriage to Rebecca is in danger and the promise is in danger. We're to learn from this, dear people of God. History has lessons to teach us. Not many of us like history. We just try to get through it so that we can get our get on with our lives but we can learn from it and God in his word records these events that we might not repeat the sins of the past we come up with many quote-unquote solutions to our problems that are not God honoring and God glorifying we press on in the sins of the past and even increase them and what do we get for it growing pain and brokenness Divorce, sexual immorality, drunkenness, legalized drug use, gambling, our gods are seen in these sins. Those things which we believe will deliver us from want, from all of our needs as we perceive them, but these are a threat to the path of life in God. God shows us the hollowness of these things that's why he teaches us over and over again about these things and warns us about these pleasures these promised short-term gains these promises of safety well if you just if you just put a little money there and then gamble that money a little bit it'll grow and you'll be safe and you won't have to worry you won't have any any problems in the future and we gamble until we lose it all True blessing comes only to those who follow God and his word, who listen to him, paying attention to what he has to say. Well, as I said, Isaac lived a long time, verse 8, in what? In his, I want us to see this, in his compromised situation. He's lived a long time in his compromised situation where he said, Rebecca is my sister. Abimelech sees him flirting with his wife and he comes to him and he says, what are you doing? That's, that's your wife. Why did you say this? And he says, well, I was afraid. So I lied. Yeah, it makes me wonder, I, I wondered a bit about if this was perhaps the reason for Isaac and Rebecca's inability to have children, I don't know. Remember, they were 20 years without children. I, here they are living in a compromised situation. It seems a small thing, but I don't want to make too much of this thought, I, I, it, but it just kept coming back to me this week. I, I don't think we want to think of God simplistically. If you do this, then he's going to do that. If you do this, then this is the obvious result. That's maybe too simplistic. But I do mention it because the Bible makes clear that living in sin doesn't bring the blessing of God. And I think we need to know that. We need to remember that. We need to learn from that over and over again. Living in sin does not bring the blessing of God. However small it it may be, it may grow. In fact, it will grow if it's left there in soil and being watered and nurtured. Well, after Abimelech, sets Isaac's sin before him. There is a transition, verse 12. I, I think there's the, the, the real transition happens there in verse 12 in our, in our passage this morning. What do we read there? It tells us Isaac sowed and the Lord blessed. Isaac sowed and the Lord blessed. He sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants. He learned that God could bless even in famine, and he could bless even in a hostile land. And things got dicey. Then things got dicey. It says this Isaac sowed, the Lord blessed, and the Philistines envied. You see that there? The Lord blessed. Isaac sowed, the Lord blessed, and the Philistines envied. They wanted Isaac out of there. Verse 16 tells us, Abimelech came to Isaac and said, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. They had even tried to to get this done by other means. They had filled the wells that Abraham had dug, verse 15 tells us, trying to get this man with all of his flocks and herds that needed watering to to just give up on the area and, and move out. Isaac departed from there, but this, there's something noticeably different about this. He does not depart from the land that the Lord had promised. He stays where God has called him in spite of that difficulty, in spite of the known difficulty that he will have. And he does find more difficulty. And there's something we need to learn also, dear people of God, from the past. Obedience doesn't necessarily mean opposition will just vanish. And this Instance, it didn't mean that. And we'd also need to learn that glory is beyond suffering. That's seen throughout the Scriptures. That's seen in the cross, where Christ's glory was beyond his suffering, beyond the opposition that he faced. And we know this, that the blessing that Isaac received was only a picture of that greater blessing to come, which is where we set our sights even while we seek to serve the Lord here below. Now maybe you're seeing images of the Savior here in the passage. I I want you to see them. When our Savior came to earth, obedience did not mean there was no opposition. It didn't mean ease. When he obeyed, it didn't mean that all intimidation ceased. Many tried to intimidate him to move on. You remember they said to him, Herod's after you, wants to kill you. You got to get out of here. And Jesus said, no, I have... I have my Father's will to do, and until it's accomplished, I I cannot turn from the course. I have God's Word, and it's doing a work, and it must complete its purpose in me. And he leaned upon the Father, and he prayed to his Father, if this cup could pass from me, yet not my will but yours be done. And his obedience meant salvation for us. God worked powerfully. If he did not, we would be lost. If it depended upon us, we would up and run. We'd say, well, we'll, we'll forego that blessing and find something that that's, meets our, our likes for the moment. But God says, I have a much bigger plan for you. I have plans to, to grow you and to, to lead you to love me more and to be built up in the faith. Isaac remained in the area, but he moved outside the city to the valley of Gerar. Verse 17 tells us, where did we, again, where do we see the Lord suffering? It's outside the city. Writer of Hebrews makes that point. He suffered outside the city, Hebrews 13 and verse 12. Hated by many, led to the point of death. And in this, we see a picture of his setting. He endured hardship, opposition. He endured the curse that we deserved and was raised again by the Father. As he trusted in him, or he was the pure sacrifice for sin, and he received God's blessing to be a blessing for the nations. This was God's powerful doing. But it came through that way of suffering. Isaac's move did not eliminate suffering. Verse 19 tells us there was quarreling in the valley. They, they were quarreling with the herdsmen of, of Gerar over whose water Who had the water rights... They laid claim to everything. It made me think of the psalmist when he, was, when he was writing to the Lord in Psalm 73. The wicked seem to prosper. Their, their mouths lay claim to heaven and they take control of the earth. It's, he says it's, it just doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem, it doesn't seem that it's working out the way you said it's going to work. And there's this, there's this angst in the, in the mind and the heart of the psalmist. Maybe you feel that sometimes. Well, how come I'm trying to do everything right? They're not doing anything in keeping with God's command and they seem to be blessed. The psalmist then says, but then I saw their end. I saw that they were on a slippery ground. That they would perish. We must not envy the wicked. Isaac was in the midst of the wicked and not welcome. But he continued to live by faith and God gave him a place He dug a well at Rehoboth, meaning room or broad place, and he said, here the Lord will cause us to be fruitful in the land. People of God, when we seek to invest ourselves in a community project, we know there's going to be hard work, we know there's going to be opposition, but the Lord in his grace blesses. And we need to be faithful, we need to continue to walk in his promises and uh, according to his commands and, and in his promises knowing that one day the blessings of peace and abundance will be far beyond anything that we can ever imagine in heaven itself. It says that Isaac moved on, went to Beersheba in the east, went up to Beersheba in the east, the Lord met him there, and the Lord reaffirmed his promise again in the midst of adversity. He says, my power, my grace is sufficient. And what does Isaac do? What's his response to God's blessing? He builds an altar there, verse 25 tells us, calls upon the name of the Lord and sets his tent before the Lord. And that is where we want to dwell, before the face of the Lord. To use that frame, uh, frame of reference of the tent, the psalmist says, better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell amongst the tents of the wicked. Better to pitch our tent before the Lord than among the wicked. Though they may seem to be prospering. Isaac committed himself to the Lord. He worshiped in ceremony, which spoke of his commitment to worship in daily life. He said, I will worship. I will walk before you. And what is heard? Well, it's heard that he's prospering. And Abimelech comes to find him, goes in search of him. And his word is a powerful reminder to Isaac that God was in this blessing. Verses 28 and 29. Isaac says, why are you here? Verse 27. Verse 28, he says, uh, Abimelech says, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. And then verse 29, you are the blessed of the Lord. Even here, non-Israelites, those from outside of the nation of God's people, recognizing the blessing that God has shown of promise and peace and There's established peace between them. We don't know what to make of this peace because if we had time, we could look back at a a former peace that another Abimelech made with Abraham, which he broke. We don't know what this means exactly. We only know that men are not always true to their word, but it's rather intriguing to me that these non-Israelites recognize blessing to be found uh, in service before the Lord, and it seems to be a a type of, of that promise that God would be bringing in the nations. We don't see Abimelech coming and worshiping God, but it's a picture of the day when all will acknowledge that God is the one who gives blessing and that to his people for the sake of his son. Verse 32 and 33 that same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that he had dug after they had finished this meal and had this covenant drawn up. And, they, and he said to them, we have found water. And he called it Sheba, which sounds like the Hebrew for oath. And therefore, they named the city Beersheba, the land of sojourn through all the trials and tribulations. And through personal sin, God was faithful to his oath, to his covenant. Isaac recognized that. Well, there are many temptations in life, but we must remember who we serve. We must remember... His commands, where we are to walk, whom we are to marry, how we are to conduct our businesses, how we are to be a student, how we are to function towards our spouse or towards our parents, towards those in authority. God wants to impress upon us the importance of obedience and of his power to protect and to provide. We gather here again today in worship to remember God's goodness, reminder of his covenant, of his faithfulness. He teaches us to wait upon him, to trust in him. Don't forget that God's greater work is what he's doing in you. Outwardly, we waste away the result of sin. We have things that happen to us outwardly and We have to recognize the trial doesn't bring out the worst in us. The trial brings out what's already in us. Well, what is in you? What is there when those trials and tribulations come? Is it immediately to turn to God and ask for his help or to lean upon him and say, Lord, I know you are good and you will see me through this? Or is it to grumble and complain, to flee to the place of safety that the world will set before you? We remember our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came and endured all suffering, the one who established covenant between God and man through the sealing of that covenant with his own blood. We look and we learn from him. We look to him as the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one whose perfect life and death and Resurrection, secured eternal blessing for us. And we do not doubt God's faithfulness to his promises. A phrase that sticks into my mind that I've heard on numerous occasions is, if dependence upon God is the objective, if that's God's objective, then weakness is an advantage. Because weakness teaches us that we need him. That we must depend on him. We don't want to doubt God's power and his faithfulness. We don't want to grow weary and lose heart. So what do we do? We look to Christ, the one who has endured, the one who has won for us, peace with God. And then we come before him and bow before him in worship. And we go from this place seeking to live for him. Worshiping him each and every day. May God help us to do that. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God and loving Heavenly Father, you who have the power to deliver and the desire to lead, we thank you for all of your gifts to us in Christ. We thank you, Father, for the promise of eternal life in him. In this life, we will have trouble, but we know that in Him we have already overcome. Help us to walk then in obedience, in grateful obedience for the gracious salvation that you provide. Forgive our many sins for His sake. Amen. By faith. Is how we walk. There's an insert in your bulletin. That's the song we now sing, those five stanzas of by faith. And we see in there how the fathers, by faith our fathers roamed the earth with the power of his promise in their hearts of a holy city built by God's own hand, a place where peace and justice reign. Now, as I understand it, it goes stanza one and then two and then, so the refrain is not after every stanza. You'll lead us in that. Very good, thank you. Let's stand to sing by faith. That you're doing through the Toronto mission, we thank you for the work of Reverend Zeckfeld and his wife Arlie Ann. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless their efforts there. That the community would be built up. That there would be even inclusion of those from other uh, other areas of the city, other areas of that neighborhood, provide them with a place of uh, a stable place for worship, and as we Receive offerings for this cause. We pray that you would see that they are used for the building up of that place for the glory of your name through the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. If you are able to receive the Lord's parting blessing, he sends you forth with these words The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen.